Here's a question for you. Have you ever accidentally approached a stranger in public, walked off with someone else's cart at the grocery store? These things happen. We all make mistakes. Now, in the moments after something like that, you might expect to feel a little embarrassed. You might expect the other person to be a little confused, at worst, momentarily annoyed. But you probably don't expect to be shot at. Some big developments to share with you in the case of a 16-year-old boy in Kansas City, Missouri, shot after he went to the wrong house looking for his younger brothers. Awful story out of Texas. Two elite cheerleaders just outside Austin are recovering this morning, one in critical condition. After police stay, they mistakenly tried to get into the wrong car, and a man then opened fire on them. More charges possible for the man accused in the deadly driveway shooting in upstate New York. This is now according to the district attorney, who says there will be justice for 20-year-old Kaylin Gillis. She was shot and killed after she and her friends turned into the wrong driveway and then were driving out. Over the past week and a half, a series of shootings sparked by seemingly ordinary misunderstandings have some people asking, is any part of American life immune from gun violence? My guest this week is CNN's Josh Campbell. He covers guns and law enforcement. We're going to talk about two of these cases, how they fit into the gun control debate, and how police are preparing for the worst in a country full of firearms. From CNN, this is One Thing. I'm David Ryan. Josh, you lead our Guns in America beat here at CNN. You're also a former FBI special agent. And... You've been looking into these recent incidents of gun violence after people showed up to a wrong address. What does the law say about how these homeowners responded? Well, the law is certainly being tested, and we've seen this before in cases involving the so-called stand-your-ground laws, and I'll get into those. But these two cases in particular, uh, one, on April 13th, you have a 16-year-old teenager named Ralph Yarl. He goes to pick up his siblings. It's about 10 p.m. He mixes up the address, ending up about a block away from his intended destination. Now, he goes to the front door and is shot twice, including in the head. Hmm. The homeowner, later identified as 84-year-old Andrew Lester, he was interviewed by police, and he said that he had just laid down to bed, and when he heard the doorbell ring, he grabbed a pistol and went down to see who was at the door. As he opens the door, he sees Ralph Yarl and quickly opens fire through the outer glass door. He told police that he was, quote, scared to death. They were a victim of circumstance. Their friend that they were going to see was a half a mile down the road. Now, in a recent case, it was very similar in New York. 20-year-old Kaylin Gillis and her friends are out driving. They mistakenly enter the wrong driveway. Hmm. And apparently, as they're turning around, gunfire erupts, and she is fatally shot. For this man to sit on his porch and fire at a car with no threat is just... angers me so badly. The homeowner in that case was arrested. He's now charged with second-degree murder. His attorney uh, told CNN that he was in fear after seeing multiple vehicles speeding up his driveway. So that appears to be what the defense is there. But again, these two cases are only the latest that are reviving this fierce debate over so-called stand-your-ground laws and the discussions about when it is legally permissible to actually shoot someone. Now, in both Missouri and New York, the law states that deadly force is justified, but only when someone has a, quote, reasonable belief 
that there is an imminent threat of death or severe harm to themselves, to another person, to a third party. Mm. And of course, there are serious questions being raised about these two controversial shootings of Ralph Yarl and Kaylin Gellis, because it's difficult, based on the facts we know right now, to see how either posed any type of imminent threat. Right. It didn't seem like either were trying to break in or cause harm, steal something, anything like that. No, exactly. In one case, you have a young man who shows up at at someone's door, as we know, based on what the uh, defendant said, that the young man rings the doorbell. And as he goes to open the door, it seems that it happened very quickly, that he opens the door, he sees Jarl standing at his door, and then he opens fire. And I think that this has everything to do with race, the defendant's fear of black people, black men, black boys. And, And, you know, we can get a little bit into his mindset based on the defendant's statements alone. He basically said that he sees a black male who's about six foot and was, quote, scared to death. So he opens fire. And I think that if if uh, the young man wasn't black, we wouldn't be here today. But there's a question there. You know, all the time you have people that are doing deliveries, for example, with Amazon, with FedEx. And so it's not unlawful to be at someone's door. And so that's the big question here is what gave him that justification? Mm. But again, we expect that if past is prelude, we will likely see another stand your ground type defense here. Someone who's in their own home that says that they were in fear and they decide that deadly force was the answer to that problem. Yeah, and Lester pleaded not guilty to the charges of first-degree felony assault and armed criminal action before being released on bond. But you mentioned past. Have we seen these stand-your-ground defenses tried before? We have, with mixed results. I mean, there's the incident, for example, of the couple in Missouri who we all saw were standing outside of their mansion in 2020 as protesters were coming by. They were brandishing weapons. They were later charged with misdemeanors. They actually had to relinquish their weapons, a pistol and a semi-automatic rifle. But there have been other cases, for example, with uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, who, you know, in the same year was accused of fatally shooting two protesters. If I would have let Mr. Rosenbaum take my firearm from me, He would have used it and killed me with it and probably killed more people. And he claimed that it was self-defense. He was prosecuted, but ultimately acquitted. We begin tonight with breaking news, a major new development in the killing of 17-year-old Trayvon Martin in a gated community in Florida. And of course, you know, one major incident that really tested this idea of stand your ground was in Florida back in 2012 with George Zimmerman, who, you know, for those who are listening might recall, he was a neighborhood watchman. He was out driving. This guy looks like he's up to no good or he's on drugs or something. Uh, He sees a, quote, suspicious person and calls 911. Are you following him? Yeah. Okay, we don't need you to do that. Interestingly, the dispatcher says, don't approach that person. Zimmerman ignores that warning and goes and ultimately gets in this encounter with Trayvon Martin and fatally shoots him. Zimmerman, of course, is eventually acquitted of those charges. He was acquitted even though he ignored those instructions not to go closer and went closer. That's right, because under these stand-your-ground laws, particularly in Florida, there is no, quote, duty to retreat. And that is, if someone is in a place that they are allowed to be, and they see someone who they believe poses an imminent threat, in places where there is no duty to retreat, they they can stand their ground. They can engage that person if they believe that there's an imminent threat. Mm. Now, there are some states, for example, in New York State, where in you know if you're not in your home, if you're out in public somewhere, or if you're in another location, the law actually says that to the extent that it is safe to do so, you must remove yourself from the situation. But again, that's not across the board. We don't see that in every single state, and we certainly didn't see that in Florida. 
guess on a broader level, Josh, I mean, like I said, you're part of our Guns in America beat, which I imagine is quite busy because every other day we're hearing about a mass shooting or an armed encounter like these ones in Missouri and New York. So absent of any federal gun legislation, that does not seem like that's happening anytime soon. How are people expected to go about their days feeling, you know, any level of safety that there won't be a gun involved? Well, the issue of gun control itself remains a politically fraught one. I mean, with an epidemic of mass shootings, as you mentioned, that we continue uh, to see, we often hear from gun safety advocates who are calling for certain reforms, such as universal background checks. And it's so interesting because if you look at recent polling that's been done on what do Americans believe about universal background checks, and that is looking into someone's past before they're able to buy a weapon, there is overwhelming support across the country for those types of reforms. Um, People are on board for that. People are on board for that, exactly. But, you know, in the United States, the gun lobby is so strong. And, you know, we see groups like the NRA, pro-gun groups, who seem to believe that any type of reform is a slippery slope that will lead to less freedom, that will lead to more government tyranny. Yet, you know, after all of these shootings, we continue to hear from people calling for some type of change. You know, it is a depressing beat to cover because, you know, there have been more mass shootings for example, in this year than there have been days. Wow. Yeah, you know, you and I and us at CNN, we continue to talk about these uh, incidents of gun violence. It certainly appears that there is a an acceptable level of violence among um, certain, you know, pro-gun people that they understand that, look, we continue to see this violence, but they are so intent on, you know, that Second Amendment, which is certainly enshrined in the U.S. Constitution. And so I don't think we're going to see any type of massive reform anytime soon. It is worth noting that, you know, as we look at the politics of this, particularly for Republicans, particularly for those who have continued to say that they are pro-law enforcement, we've heard from many law enforcement uh, groups, such as the International Association of Chiefs of Police, such as the Major City Chiefs Association, including a uh, national or international organization that represents officers at college campuses. They all have been calling for an assault weapons ban, in part because it's their officers who are often on the receiving end of these bullets. Mm. And so the irony there is that people who, you know, tend to say, well, I'm pro-law enforcement, they are to an extent, you know, not when it comes to actually passing the gun control measures that we see a lot of these large policing groups call for. Right. I was going to ask, you have a background in law enforcement. So how are, you know, police departments and other groups dealing with more guns on the street? I mean, the, the stat that always jumps out to me is that there are more guns in this country than people. So how are they grappling with that? You know, it's interesting. I mean, law enforcement is certainly not a monolith. So we have seen, for example, uh, many sheriffs around the country who say, no, you know, we're against any type of gun reform. They seem, you know, to buy into the the belief that is genuinely held by, you know, in many parts of the country that a good guy with a gun stops a bad guy with a gun. Mm. But yet we've seen many other, you know, chiefs from large police organizations say that, no, it's the guns themselves that are causing so much carnage, so much chaos. And so what we've seen is time and time again, it's the police that are having to train for the violence that are having to, you know, train for preparing for an instance where there might be a mass shooting in their jurisdiction. You good? Okay, sir, can you start with your name and title, please? Sure. My name is Chris Johnson. I'm the captain of the local sheriff station, um, Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. I just uh, went out. CNN spent the day here in Southern California at a college campus filming active shooter training that involved a host of different agencies across Southern California uh, to include local law enforcement, to include sheriff's department SWAT officers, to include EMTs and medics. Um, The scenarios will be generally the shooter will be shooting and moving to different locations. It'll be our our job to 
uh, engage the shooter and take him out. Um, and then the L.A. County Fire Department will roll in. It was spring break at a college campus, and rather than that being a quiet time on the campus, these officers essentially turned it into a simulated war zone, practicing and preparing for what it would be like to actually respond to a mass shooting. So in this training, there was a simulated gunman that was using an inert weapon, but it was very loud. And so the gunman runs across the quad at the campus, opening fire, and the police officers respond. They're having to get in the stack, as they call it. They're having to quickly form what's called a contact team. We know in the era post-Columbine police, they don't wait for backup. You grab whatever officer is near you and you go try to stop that threat. The gunman makes his way into the school library where there are dozens of innocent people. And so it's the cops having to respond and having to make that quick determination who's an innocent person, who is the perpetrator as they move through the school. The shooter is eventually neutralized, but the work is far from over. Staging nearby, there was a team of EMTs, of paramedics, of firefighters who were called, dispatched to the scene. They couldn't actually go into the library because it was still a hot zone. You know, the shooter had not yet been neutralized. But the moment the shooter was taken down, the medics then have to move in and triage and have to provide life-saving first aid to those who had been shot. I mean, there's been a lot of you know, shootings where people potentially bled out. So that's why, you know, we have this unified you know, command you know, now. And the police chief on campus told me that they train for that way because they know that officers, particularly as it relates to the gun violence we've seen across the country, it may be their officers who soon find themselves in a real-life situation having to rely on that exact training in order to try to stop a threat, in order to try to save lives. In our opinion, this is going to continue. And that means that it needs to be addressed you know, at a high level. Of course, this training took place not far from Monterey Park, which was the scene of a recent mass shooting where a gunman goes into a dance studio, opens fire, killing numerous people. And it was these very same officers who were in the region whenever the alert went out, was broadcast that we have a shooter at large. It was these officers who were put on alert. And that's something that police departments across the country say that they're having to continue to do, because at least as it pertains to any end to this epidemic of gun violence we've seen, there certainly doesn't seem to be one in sight. Josh, thank you. Appreciate it. You bet. One Thing is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Paolo Ortiz, Krista Bowe, and me, David Rind. Matt Dempsey is our production manager. Fez Jamil is our senior producer. Greg Peppers is our supervising producer. And Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of CNN Audio. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next Sunday. Talk to you then. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life. I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff, and some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts.